Hi, you are listening to the IDH Sustainable Trade Podcast. In this series, we dive into the innovative work we do with our partners to create sustainable value chains and inclusive business models. My name is Gaël Luscornec, and I am Program Manager at IDH, working on food and nutrition security. I have the pleasure today to be speaking with our IDH Executive Director, Joost Aurthausen, on the occasion of World Food Day, being celebrated on 16 October. This day provides us an important opportunity to reflect on how we work with value chain actors on food security. What are the challenges we face and the solutions available? And how does IDH fit into all this? Thank you for joining me today, Joost. I wanted to start off by asking you, how do you see, how can businesses actually support the food security agenda? And what changes have you seen over the years uh, in how companies engage on food security? Great. Well, businesses have a, obviously have a huge role to play when it comes to food security, right? There are 500 million smaller farmers out there, and we need to have business engage those smallholders in the whole food security issue. Um, and that is happening as we, as we speak, I would say. What you see out of the global companies start to realize more and more, I think, that it's the farm that needs to be central. Uh, and the farmer that needs to be, or the farmer household that needs to be central, rather than the product that they have always been sourcing, right? So if you want to have future cocoa farmers, it doesn't work to only source their cocoa. They realize that they need to look at the whole farming system and make sure that that farmer can survive in their farming system, not just on cocoa, but also on other crops. And can you tell us maybe a little bit more how companies are doing that? I mean, are there specific strategies, specific changes in the way they're delivering services? Yeah, I think it has changed a lot and it's going quite fast also, right? Um, again, if you stick to the cocoa example, maybe 10, 15 years ago, many people in those companies didn't really realize where the cocoa was coming from, right? Mm -hmm. So that whole drive towards traceability, that whole drive to understand the last mile mm -hmm. and to understand the farmer problems is really mm -hmm. something uh, relatively recent, if you like. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they come up with new strategies to go about it, which mm -hmm. makes business sense, but also which, which makes sense, uh, farmer sense. Mm -hmm. um, like actively supporting farmers in vegetable gardening, like buying those other crops. Um, so there are mm -hmm. different drives there. Uh, I was in New York at the, uh, the Climate Week, uh, what is it, two weeks ago. Um, there you see that global companies are also very much concerned now about the, the climate elements of farming, right? A lot of carbon is in the, in the soil. Uh, we are kind of mining the soil if you, uh, nowadays. We are over-fertilizing all these things. So people talk about nature-based solutions and people talk about regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. So again, global companies start to realize that, hey, it's the farmer and the farming system that is central mm -hmm. to many of the questions, whether it's poverty, whether it's food security, whether it's climate. Mm. Yeah. And I guess honing in to how IDH works, um, I want to look at the three pillars, the three key pillars of food security. And maybe you can walk us through how IDH is working through value chain actors and, and particularly businesses to address those three pillars. So uh, one, the availability of food, uh, two, the affordability of food, and three, the consumption of food. So 
More specifically, let's look at that, that first, uh, first pillar. How does IDH work with businesses to stimulate the availability in, in food, especially in areas that need it most? So then we focus mostly on Sub-Saharan Africa, although we also mm. uh, work in India on this. But if we zoom in on Sub-Saharan Africa, it is obvious that uh, the regional food question is a, is a huge question, right? Um, the, the, the population in Sub-Saharan Africa is booming uh, and the cities are booming. Uh, people say that Lagos will be 70 million people in, in the future. So the whole population of Germany in one city, just to give you an idea on how big that is. So the whole question on how do you feed the cities is very much on the agenda, right? So the way uh, we as IDH work on this is through our value chain approach. So we try to help uh, companies and farmers to uh, have more food produced, but also link that better to the to the markets, right? And then also the regional markets, not just the export markets. That is a very important thing to do. And our approach has always been and will always be from a value chain perspective, right? Many NGOs have been worked on trying to organize farmers and, and have them develop something for the market and then there was no market. Mm. We take it the other way around, right? We work from the market uh, upwards towards the farmers, if you like. So we do that in cassava, we do that in rice, and we will do that in other food crops in the future. What for us is very important, what we developed is the concept of service delivery modeling, because we have noticed that many people want to do the right thing, but they don't do it very professionally. They do not really know how to do these things well. We lack a lot of knowledge about how it works. As an example, if you have farmers in East Zambia growing cotton and different food crops, what are the transaction costs for a company yearly to deal with those farmers? So what kind of service delivery models do you need to set up to actually get them into the market and service them well so that they can really produce for the market? Well, we call that the last mile. It's always the last mile problem because many of those smaller farmers are dispersed throughout the continent. You have a few value chains that are much more tight, uh, like dairy where farmers milk, uh, then they produce every day, they produce milk or tea, which is also daily, but many of the crops are not. And then you have much more what they call dispersed value chains, and that's mostly the food crops. So how do you reach those farmers in an effective and cost-efficient way? And how do you then service those farmers with the right technology, with the right knowledge, and with the right inputs, and with the right finance? Now that's what we're working on. We call that the FarmFit program, uh, where we have done already 80 uh, studies now for companies that want to take more risk on smallholder farmers and get them into their systems. And we model that out with those companies, uh, cash flow modeling, quite deep analysis with the companies on how to do that well. That's very helpful. And if we then believe that that is going to service those farmers, uh, then we also uh, uh, put money to it to help actually develop that value chain. And we have set up a fund to take the risk out of the system for those or to, to share the risk with the companies because it's quite risky or if you want to go out of your comfort zone and for instance provide farmer finance. Mm. Linked linked to this is, is really the, the issue of being able to afford food that is available. And, and we also know according to FAO that over 50% and in some cases 60 to 80% of a smallholder farming household's income goes towards food expenses. 
So that really begs the question of, you know, how do we work with value chain actors to address the affordability of food? Well, like you said, so I think that's it's a key point that uh, that such a high percentage of farmers themselves is the is the food cost, right? So we need to work on the farmer income, right? So it's not good enough anymore to just train those farmers, but we really need to get them into the system so that they double or triple their income so that the food cost goes down. So that's one, right? That's very important. Secondly, if you focus more on the, uh, on the affordability, so the consumers, the regional consumers of food, we need to work on living income, right? We need to work on uh, decent incomes for people and living wage. And we, as IDH, we work on both. And so we now have said, together with different industries, at least farmers need to earn a living income, right? Which is still very low, but most of the farmers are way below that living income line, right? So we need to be more ambitious in our targets towards those farmers, and we need to be more ambitious to the, towards the workers uh, on living wage. So we work with the banana industry, we work with the flowers industry, and we work with the tea industry to get to a new level where, uh, where workers are being paid a living wage. And if they earn a living wage, at least they earn enough to be able to afford the food uh, that they want to consume in their in their families. Mm. Can I push you a little bit deeper? Because living wage, living income, it's a complex, complex issue. And we are doing this. Can you give us an example of, of how and what that looks like? Well, for instance, in Malawi, it's a very con- uh, concrete example. We started a project together with the off-takers, so the tea buyers, uh, your, your, your twinings and your, you know, the tea packers, if you like, mm-hmm. the Pickwicks and, you know, all these brands, Taylors of Harrogate, Tata, Unilever, all these, all these companies. They also realized that they need to do something, right? That the workers need to earn at least a living wage. Too. So together, a couple of years ago, we said, let's try to bring those workers to living wage. When we started, it was only one-third, and so their income was only a one-third of living wage. We are now at two-thirds with, with a very cons- you know, organized effort on both sides to get out of this mm-hmm. negative cycle where it's sourced cheaply as possible and then sold cheaply as possible. That you, need to get, you need to break out of that cycle, so mm-hmm. that's a, a clear example. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other element of when we speak about food security is not just the availability, the affordability, but also looking at the consumption side. And this is really where we go and look at you know, how, how food is actually being consumed. And we know that out of the global undernourished population worldwide, over half of that population actually is smallholder farmers. So we know it's a big problem within the, the value chains that we work in, including um, cocoa, tea, coffee, etc. How are we as IDH addressing these challenges of malnutrition within smallholder farmer settings? Well, we try to make a difference there as well. Um, it started for me. It started with my own realization when when there was a study done a couple of years ago, where it showed that the that the the cocoa farmers and the tea uh, the tea farmers and the coffee farmers, many of them are malnourished. You d- wouldn't expect that uh, f- from a naive perspective. You would think, well, farmers at least are not malnourished, right? But they are very much. Uh, so they suffer a lot from anemia, they, and you know, even stunting of children is, is a big issue if you, if you look into those supply chains. So based on that realization, we started to engage with the, the companies that we work with in Cocoa Coffee and Tea said, hey guys, this is not good, right? This is something that we really need to see if we can make a difference there. Uh, first, we started to work with Gain and did the analysis to understand the diets of, of 
cocoa households in, in West Africa. And then you see that they are not eating enough nutritious food, right? So they eat food that gives them the calories, but it doesn't give them the, the micronutrients, proteins that they need to grow up, uh, the children, and, but also themselves as adults. Well, I think that was a very important learning, that we started to organize a learning trajectory with those companies to make them aware of that, because many of them were not. And then, of course, the question is, what kind of strategies can you do out of your supply chain that makes sense? Uh, because these companies are not the Ministry of Health or something like that. They are companies. So what is it that they can do as companies to make a difference there, right? So, for instance, a very practical one is they have farmer field schools in the cocoa communities around how to grow cocoa. Well, how difficult is it to also to uh, start teaching those farmers around uh, how do you grow vegetables, how do you grow chickens, uh, what, is a, what is a healthy diet? Mm -hmm. Another one would be a bit more far-reaching where a company says, okay, hey, I, let me partner with another company that is then willing to buy other crops that are more nutritious uh, so that those farmers also grow those more nutritious foods and they also start to eat themselves those nutritious foods, right? And some companies even go one step further and they see that they also can develop their business models themselves by becoming a broker for those farmers, not but just buying the cocoa, but also buying uh, the other crops and linking them to the markets. Hmm. So that's a powerful model because what we're essentially saying is that if we just take cocoa in West Africa, we're estimating that there's about, you know, let's say 2 million cocoa farmers and working through the companies that are basically working with these farmers and integrating nutrition awareness, but also access to seeds or inputs would be integrated within their overall farmer training on cocoa. So that's, we're looking at a, a pretty broad, huge pipeline. Absolutely, and I think the, the best example is in, the, is in Kenya with the tea farmers. And so the, the Kenyan Tea Development Authority, we have been working very closely with them together with Unilever. And there are 550,000 smallholder farmers in that supply chain of the Kenyan Tea Development Authority. They're mm -hmm. pretty well organized in 70 factories, which they own themselves. And what we did is training to those farmers, uh, which are both w men and women, but mostly women, not just on tea farming and tea plugging, but also on these other things, animal husbandry, mm -hmm. vegetable gardening. And that has a, has a huge effect because then with a well-organized system, you reach 550,000 mm -hmm. farmers. So if each household is five people, then you're mm -hmm. talking about a few million people that have much better knowledge and much better practice when it comes to nutritious food. Mm -hmm. Well, you can do the same in cocoa, you can do the same in coffee, you can do the same in cotton, right? So mm. the power of those supply chains is that you have the power to reach many farmers at scale mm -hmm. and therefore have uh, potentially quite a bit of a big impact on, mm. the, on these things. Yeah, I just want to come back to the point you're making on, on the role of women. So it seems like there's a bit of sweet spot when we're talking about uh, food security, particularly nutrition practices, uh, diversification into food crops, um, the role of women and gender uh, relationships in the household and, and working with the household as opposed to just the lead farmer seems to be quite important. Um, I wonder, have you seen changes in terms of how companies and how value chain actors value, valorize this gender dynamic and work to, towards transforming it? Yes, I think I, I think so. There is quite a broad understanding nowadays that women in general, I would say, but uh, also women farmers are recognized as a powerful group and a, and a group to be 
reckoned with, if you like, right? It can be about female participation in cooperative leadership. Uh, that can be about uh, farmer field schools that particularly focus on those crops where women are in the lead. It can be about saving schemes. Uh, we're working now with banks, again, in, in West Africa to provide loans and saving schemes to, uh, to farmer households, but also specifically to the women. So that is not just they don't become dependent on the, if you like, the cash economy of, of, of the men in the household. Right? Mm. Uh, so there's a lot to be done yeah. there. So I, I'd like to conclude maybe by going back to my initial question where I was asking you, you know, what sort of changes have you observed in terms of companies engaging in food security? But if you take a snapshot of where we are now, what would be your call to action, particularly to businesses, to support the global food security agenda? Well, <laughs> quite quite a lot, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's be let's be ambitious here, right? So, first of all, I think living income and living wage should be the new normal, uh, very fast, right? It, it, you can't explain that anymore in a world so rich, and uh, we have the SDGs. So by two thousand thirty. Everybody should be out of poverty. Uh, that's not a, a too strange uh, thing to ask. And to me, that translates into living income and living wage at least, right? So and companies have a lot to do there. They should no longer accept that they are procuring from plantations that do not pay a living wage to their, to their workers. They should no longer accept that they are sourcing cocoa from cocoa farmers that are not earning a living income, right? The, and, and I think many companies really realize that and we're working with them to achieve that. The second one is what we just talked about. It's not about food, just it's about nutritious food, right? So there needs to be that real mind shift and, there's, and a lot of strategies around how do we get nutritious food um, produced and consumed by farmers, but also in the cities. Uh, companies need to become more sophisticated, I think, in terms of the business models that they develop with the farmers, because there is a lot to gain there. Yeah, and then the other side, what you see in, in Sub-Saharan Africa is this tragedy on the one hand, this tragedy, which I think is malnutrition on the one hand, but a lot of obesity on the other hand, right? So the question on food is, is bigger than just uh, food and nutritious food. It is also about healthy diets. Uh, there's a lot to do to make sure that the upcoming emerging classes in, in, in Africa and you know in the rest of the world if you see the diets, they are not very healthy. And companies have a big responsibility there, right? Sugar, salt, fats, all these things that we, we have been uh, serving uh, the populations in the West, we have an opportunity to uh, avoid those mistakes, I think, in, uh, in the emerging economies. But that leads a lot of business transformation to make that happen. And how do you see that uh, transformation happening? What, what, what would be your major message to, to some of the, the big companies that we work with? Responsibly develop your business models, right? Businesses are, uh, need to serve a purpose. If there is no societal purpose to your business, mm. then there is something wrong with your business, right? There's a lot of opportunity in the emerging economies for companies to make money, but making money the right way, right? So it should be small, the based, it should allow smallholders to, to earn a decent income. It should, it should invest in, in women in those households. And it should produce products that are actually nutritious and are healthy.
To listen to our other podcasts, follow our channel IDH Podcast via iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Or you can sign up to our IDH newsletter via www.idhtrade.org to always receive the latest news and podcasts in your inbox. You'll hear back from us next month.